to begin by asking a simple question of you this morning, and that question is this. What do you fear most? What unsettles you? What makes you anxious or nervous? Um, what are you fearful of? Now, if I went around the room this morning, I would probably get a wide variety of answers. It could be that you fear things like heights or closed-in spaces or perhaps water or reptiles. My wife is dreadfully afraid of spiders. When we came in this morning, I saw a huge, well, actually, she saw a huge uh, spider web on the banister there, and, uh, and she quickly got to the other side. And I'm not afraid of I'm not afraid of spiders, but snakes, I have no use for snakes whatsoever. I don't know what you're afraid of. Perhaps you're afraid of um, uh, an uncertain uh, answer from a doctor, a health crisis, or a financial disturbance in your life. Or perhaps you're, you have a fear of dying and, and what comes next. But whatever you're afraid of, the reality is that fear is something that all of us face from one, at one time or another. Little Billy was playing with his cars in the kitchen floor and his mom was quickly tidying up the house in anticipation of his dad coming home. And she said to Billy, Billy, mom is gonna sweep the floor, so I want you to go out onto the screened-in porch and bring me the broom. So Billy got up from where he was playing and he went to the screen door and he looks out into the darkness and he says, mama, it's dark out there. And she said, Billy, I need the broom. I'm in a hurry, so I, I'm telling you again, I want you to go out onto the porch and bring me the broom. And so Billy goes back to the door, wanting to be obedient and please his mama. He looks out into the darkness again on the porch, and he says, Mama, it's really dark out there. And she said, Billy, haven't I told you that you don't have to be afraid that Jesus is with you wherever you go? Yes, Mama, Billy said. So, Mama, if Jesus is with me wherever I go, if he is everywhere, then he's out there on that dark porch right now. Yes, Billy, even in the darkness, Jesus is there out on the porch too. Well, mama, if Jesus is out on the porch, why don't you ask Jesus to bring you the broom? <laughs> so I don't know what you're afraid of this morning, but life can certainly be fearful, amen? I spent a lot of time this past few days, as I'm sure most of you have, watching the news and what's unfolding in and around the country of Israel. And if we allow them to, those horrific pictures and tragic stories are enough to make us fearful. Could that happen here to me or my family? I've also listened to the media reports about an enraged individual who within the course of a few hours injured and took the lives of so many in the state of Maine just this past week. If you remember the news broadcast, entire towns were put on alert and businesses were closed and schools canceled classes, all because of fear. These are clear examples of a world that seems to be spinning out of control. But aren't you thankful this morning that God is still in control, amen? When you add these traumatic events to the anxieties that we face every day, things like increasing expenses and limited income or unexpected health crises or the loss of a job or marriages that are falling apart. And the list goes on and on and on. It's enough to strike fear into the heart of anyone. God's word has a lot to say about fear. In fact, if you do a little research, you'll find that the phrase, do not be afraid or fear not, is mentioned some 70 times in scripture. 
As we search the scriptures, we find that God even has to speak to the most notable people and instruct them not to be afraid. Men in the Old Testament like Abraham and Joseph and Jacob and Moses and Isaiah. In the New Testament, the angel of the Lord comes to Mary and Joseph, the earthly parents of Jesus, on separate occasions and instructs both of them, do not be afraid. Even Jesus in his earthly ministry tells the disciples, don't fret or fear about tomorrow because you can't control what happens the next day. So don't be afraid. Even as we face this tragic set of circumstances that are unfolding around us, God desires that we live courageously and that we not allow fear to keep us from trusting him and what he wants to do in and through us. And so in Joshua chapter one, I wanna take you there for just a few moments and I wanna share with you the story that I know you're already familiar with. Joshua was an incredible leader. God chose Joshua to replace Moses and lead the children of Israel, not through the wilderness, but actually into the land of promise, an incredible task and responsibility. But as we look here in Joshua chapter one, we find that even Joshua had to be reminded of God to fear not. Let me read the text for you, if you'll follow along. Verse 1 of chapter 1 begins by saying this, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses, servant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land I'm giving to you, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses." From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses. So I will be with you, Joshua. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause the people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give to them." Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, Joshua, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. And verse 9 says again, Have I not commanded you, be strong and of a good courage. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I want to give you five principles quickly this morning. From the life and call of Joshua, this great servant of God that will be necessary if we are going to rise above fear and live and lead courageously. Don't we need leaders who are not afraid to lead? Amen? I got an amen from one person, but uh, that's true. We need leaders, but not only do we need leaders, we need people in the pews who are not afraid to step out and say, God, whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, here I am, Lord, send me. I won't allow fear to cripple me and keep me from being useful in your service. But I want these principles 
to make application for all of us. Hey, did you realize this, that no matter where you are from or who you are, no matter what your past experience has been, what your success, what successes you've enjoyed or mistakes you regret, just like he did for Joshua, God has a plan and a purpose for you. My wife and I were out of town. We had the privilege of spending some time with a pastor and his wife this past week, and we went into a little bookstore, and we were looking around. There were some T-shirts there, and uh, written on one of the T-shirts was a saying, and it caught my eye, and, and the saying read this way. He has a plan, and I have a purpose. He has a plan, and I have a purpose. God had a plan for Joshua, not just Israel as a nation, but for this one man who had committed to not be afraid and to follow God because God had a plan. And because God had a plan, Joshua had a purpose. God may not be calling you to lead a church or a ministry, to step into some vocational pastoral role, may not be calling you to lead a nation of people, but God wants men who will lead their families, amen? Men who will step up and be the tower of strength for their wives and the godly example for their children. Men who are willing to say, as for me and my house, this day, right now, we're gonna serve Jesus. God needs ladies who are willing to be the wife to their husband, as difficult as that may be, but to be the wife to their husband and the mother to their children that God would have them to be and to be an example of what it means to be a, a woman of dignity and courage. God needs students this morning who are willing to take a stand for what is right, no matter what the crowd around them is doing. God needs leaders in business and industry. And hey, catch this, now listen closely. God has called all of us to lead with our lives and our words because someone needs Jesus. Well, what does it look like then to live and lead with courage? You know, I studied this text this past week and I made a lot of notes and I was told that I had two hours and I hope that, I hope that that's correct, but... Not really, I, I, just an hour and 45 minutes. But it's, <laughs> instead of being fearful, folks, God wants us to live with courage. God wants those of us, those of you who are in leadership, to lead courageously. Five principles here that I want you to see as we look at this passage. And the first actually has its setting in the passage prior to Joshua chapter 1. If you go back to the last chapter of Deuteronomy, you find the story of the death of Moses. I won't take time to read that for the sake of time, but, but let me kind of uh, put it into a nutshell for you. Scripture tells us that Moses, this mighty servant of God, was not going to be allowed, you know the story, was not going to be allowed to enter into the promised land. And, and Do you realize how closely Moses and God had a relationship? Man, I'd love for my relationship with God to be like this, wouldn't you? The Bible says that God took Moses on the eve of his passing from this life into eternity, he took him up into a high mountain and he showed him all of the land of promise. And he said, Moses, I'm gonna paraphrase here if you'll allow me. Moses, we talked about this. I'm not gonna allow you to go over into the promised land, but I believe God was saying, you're not gonna believe, Moses, what I've got prepared for you. 
And as glorious as all of this is, it in no way compares to what awaits you when I take you home. And the Bible goes on to say that Moses died and God himself took the body of Moses and buried it in an undisclosed place. And it's there to this day. Moses was a great leader. This was the man who led Israel out of Egypt, across the wilderness, toward the land of promise. This is the guy who stood at the Red Sea and on God's command raised his staff and the waters parted so that all of Israel could pass over on dry land only to watch as the Egyptian army was consumed by water. This was the man who they followed and they trusted. This Moses was the guy who taught them what it looked like to worship and to do it in a way that was pleasing to God. Moses would be missed for sure. And scripture goes on to tell us, if you read that last chapter, that Israel mourned and grieved for 30 days. 30 days. That's the setting toward this first principle that I want us to understand, and that is this. In order to live and lead with courage, we must be willing to wait patiently as God works. Wait patiently as God works. Look at verse 1 of chapter 1. In my translation, it's the first word in the verse, and that's the word after. After the death of Moses, his servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, and again, God has some things to say to Joshua. He says, Moses, my servant, is dead. And when you read that at first glance, you may say, well, Moses probably said, or Joshua probably said, well, Lord, everybody knows that. But the point is this. Joshua had to be willing to wait because God had a plan and he had a purpose for Joshua. But it wasn't God's time. All of those things had to be in place. Israel needed time to mourn their revered leader. And Joshua needed time to mentally prepare. And the armies of Israel needed time to be willing to obey as Joshua would command uh, according to what God would tell him to do. Preparations needed to be made. Oftentimes we get ahead of God, do we not? Anybody in this room ever done that? Anybody got so impatient that you moved ahead of God? How did that work out for you? Well, let me tell you how it worked out for me, and I won't go into the detail because the times are numerous and I don't have enough time to share all of those. But the fact of the matter is this, when I am not willing to be patient and wait and I get ahead of God, that is a recipe for absolute failure because I operate outside of the plan and purpose that God has for me. If we want to live courageously, if we want to lead courageously, we need to be willing to wait patiently as God works. My mind goes back to the, to the days of old, I guess I should say, um, and that includes me. So uh, when we were in the building across the way, the uh, original church building, and pastor and the leadership, the deacons and leadership began to share their vision for, for God building a, a new structure for worship and for ministry. And, and you know, it, it took a long time and countless meetings and preparation and the finances and the, the negotiations with those who had the land at the time. What if the men of this church and the leadership would have moved ahead of God? Recipe for disaster. But instead they waited patiently and look how God is blessed and continues to bless. This morning, I don't know what God is calling you to do. 
I don't know what he has for you. That's between you and him. I do know that he has a purpose and a plan for your life. But you, may you live courageously simply by starting out waiting patiently. Scripture says that after Moses was gone, after Israel had grieved, after Joshua's personal preparation had been taken care of, then God spoke to Joshua. Living and leading courageously begins by being willing to wait. Wait patiently as God works. There are so many times in Scripture where we find that phrase to wait on the Lord. Let me share some of those with you. In fact, it's 116 times in Scripture. That's what my wife said. It's 116 times in Scripture. Um, Isaiah 40, 31, you know the verse. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Psalms 27, verse 14 says, They wait on the Lord and be of good courage, and he will strengthen your heart. Psalm 37, 7 says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him and fear not. If waiting is mentioned that, that many times, don't you think it's probably important that we allow God to teach us the art of waiting? On the Lord. There are two reasons why I believe, two of many reasons, but two important reasons as to why waiting patiently is so vital to us being willing to live and lead courageously. Number one, waiting affords us the comfort of God's wisdom. Jeremiah 29 11 says, and you've seen this written on plaques and on t shirts and everything else, 29 11 says, I know the plans that I have for you, plans to make you prosper. There's a Verse in the Psalms, it says that the, the Lord knows the path of the righteous. The steps of a righteous man are, are ordered, or in the original, that means to be strategically placed by the Lord so that we can't get off track if we're willing to wait as God prepares the way and we're willing to follow. God has proven himself faithful in our past. He has control, someone said, over our present, and he already exists in the events of our future. Why not rest in his wisdom? You see, waiting patiently affords us the comfort of God's wisdom. But secondly, waiting allows us the experience of God's blessings. I can't imagine how Moses must have felt, not knowing that he would not enter the land of promise. It had to be incredibly disappointing and disheartening. But you know what? God was, was so merciful and gracious I also can't imagine what he had waiting for Moses. Just this past summer, many of you know that uh, my mom went home to be with the Lord. My mom was an incredible servant, just such a vital part of my father's ministry. And I remember those last few days as we sat there by her bedside in her home and we watched her uh, lying there peaceful. I believe my mom, and if you talk to my wife, she would say the same thing. I believe my mom was just waiting on God's perfect time. And Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And that Saturday night, about 10.40 p.m., I watched as my mom took her last breath on this earth and she opened up her lungs and her eyes and she viewed heaven for the first time. But my mom had learned years ago the importance of waiting patiently. Wait patiently as God works. And that brings us to principle number two, and that is this. 
Joshua had to be willing to listen closely when God spoke. Principle number two, if you want to live with courage, if you want to lead with courage, it's not only important that you learn to wait patiently as God works, but you learn to listen closely when God speaks. Verse one tells us that after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise. And he begins to list this, this uh, make this list of things that he wants Joshua to do. And they're all listed there in your scripture for you. Um, to go in and possess the land, to lead the people, to, to take the land that God had promised to them. Um, to not be afraid because no enemy that would oppose them would ever be victorious as long as God was in control and they were willing to listen. If you want to have courage in the face of fear, if you want to lead with boldness, you have to be willing to listen to God when he speaks. There's a funny story about President Franklin Delano Roosevelt. It's a good illustration, actually, of what it means to be uh, willing to listen. The story goes like this. So Roosevelt was meeting people in a seemingly endless receiving line, weary of smiling and shaking hands as dignitaries often do and making casual conversation and insequential small talk. Roosevelt began to murmur, I murdered my grandmother this morning, uh, assuming that no one was listening. As people passed by, he repeated the confession, I murdered my grandmother this morning, while they smiled and replied, wonderful, lovely, keep, us good, keep up the good work, Mr. President. This lasted until a diplomat came through the line, trained to listen and be attentive, and he replied to Roosevelt, Mr. President, I'm sure she had it coming. <laughs> so... True story, uh, true story, but, but it, it, it shows us the importance of being willing to listen when God speaks. Through this entire encounter between God and, and Joshua, prior to leading Israel over into the land of promise, one thing that I noticed as, as I read this passage, and I thought it quite interesting, and I, I hope you find it interesting too, um, and that is this. God begins to speak. And if you read down through verse 9, which we just got finished reading, do you notice who's doing all the talking? I don't notice a response from Joshua anywhere. I don't see anything that, that Joshua questioned or, or asked of God. Now, no doubt in his mind he had some questions about the details. But the fact of the matter is this. God was talking. Joshua was listening so that he could hang on every word and take in every bit of important, vital instruction that God would give. You see, not only were those instructions vital to Joshua's success, but they were vital to Israel's survival. My, how we need to learn to listen, amen? You know, so many times fear grips us and we're overcome by it simply because when God speaks, we're not listening. Now you may say, God doesn't really speak to me. Well, actually, God is speaking to you and I right now. In the manner that he most often speaks, God is speaking truth into our lives through his word. You know, when you question Christians about the amount of time that they spend in the word of God, listening to God, speaking to them, it's shocking, is it not, Pastor? And we wonder why our lives are in the shape they're in. We wonder why we lack strength when temptation comes. We wonder why our churches, our leadership, our ministries are weak at best because we have not learned the importance of listening when God speaks. 
The story is told of two men who were walking down the streets of New York City. One was a Native American, and the busyness of the city was all around them. The traffic, the sirens, the horns, the throngs of people, and everything that a big city entails. My daughter lives in Chicago, and so we've gotten a little taste of that from time to time, and not a place I want to stay. I'm glad to visit her there, but surely not a place I want to stay. But the city was busy that day, and the Native American grabbed the man by the arm that he was with, and he said, stop just a second, I, I hear a cricket. And the man looked at him and he said, now, wait a second. How is that even possible? He said, just wait just a second. I, I do, I hear a cricket. And so a couple of moments passed and he crossed over the street through the traffic and he reached into a cement planter there on the sidewalk. And sure enough, he pulled out a small cricket. He walked it back over to the man that was with him and the man was just amazed. He said, how in the world, in, in the midst of all of this noise, were you able to listen to the chirp of a small cricket? And the Native American said it this way, it's not what you're listening to, it's what you're listening for. It's not what you're listening to, it's rather what you're listening for. I would like to be able to stand up here this morning and tell you that every time God spoke to me, I was listening carefully. But I'd be dishonest if I would do so. In fact, there are two clear examples of what happens when we fail to listen to the voice of God. And strangely enough, those examples are in the life and leadership of this very same person, Joshua. In Joshua chapter 7, verses 2 through 4, we find the account of Joshua taking Israel after Jericho to a little city called Ai. And if you read the story closely uh, in chapter 7, and I'll give you time to do that on your own later today, we find that the men of, of Israel came to Joshua and they said, look, they're not very many. The city's not very big. They're kind of disorganized. We don't even need to take all of our men, Joshua. Just take a handful of men and we'll defeat Ai with no problem whatsoever. And when you read the rest of the story, Joshua gathered a group of men together and they went to Ai and they ran back to camp with their tail between their legs and 36 of the men lost their lives over, this, over the efforts of this little small city. In no way did it compare to the monstrosity of Jericho that God had used Joshua and the armies of Israel to defeat by just marching around the walls seven times and blowing some trumpets. But do you know why the armies of Israel were defeated at the land of Ai? Now, granted, we know that um, Achan took some things from Jericho that he was instructed not to take, and he hid them under his tent. But had, God, had Joshua done the usual customary thing that he did, had he gone to God and asked for wisdom and for instruction, had he listened as God and did what God was, was telling him to do, Israel would have been victorious over Ai easily, just as they were victorious in Jericho. But Joshua failed to seek the counsel of God. And Israel's armies were defeated. If you go on over to another passage in chapter 9, we find the story of the Gibeonites. These were a group of, uh, from a, another city there in the land of Canaan. And they, they put on dirty clothes and, and, and horrible shoes. And, and they took moldy bread. And they, they wanted to make a pact with, with Joshua and the armies of Israel because they were afraid that they would be defeated. And they had seen what Joshua had done to the armies all around them. And so they, they posed themselves, they disguised themselves as nomads from a far country. And verse 14 of chapter 9 tells us the mistake that Israel made once again. It says that the men of Israel took their 
moldy bread, took their bread and they ate it and they failed to listen to the voice of God. They did not ask counsel from the Lord. They had not yet learned the importance of listening carefully when God speaks. God may be speaking to you this morning. Perhaps he has a job for you to do. Perhaps you're here and you're lost. You've not yet received Jesus as your personal savior. You hear God knocking at the door of your heart. Revelation chapter three says, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. I will sup with him and he with me. Listen, don't be mistaken. God is always speaking. The question is, are we willing to listen? To listen carefully. If you want to live and lead with leadership, you need to be willing to wait patiently and to listen carefully. There's a third principle that I want us to get close, uh, carefully and, and quickly, and that is this. Not only do we need to be willing to wait patiently and listen carefully, but we need to be willing to obey willingly when God commands it. Verses 7 through 9, we get detailed instructions that God gave. Um, the verses prior to that, God told Mo Joshua rather to go in and possess the land, to be of good courage and to fear not, to do all that I've commanded you. Notice what God says to Joshua. Verse 7, only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses and my, serv my servant has commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left. Down in verse 8, he says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. In Psalm chapter 1, David writes these words, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but rather his delight is in the law of the Lord. His satisfaction is in God's instruction. And in his law, same words here, he meditates day in and day out. And the result of that is this, he shall be like a tree planted firmly by the rivers of water. His leaf shall not wither. He'll go forth, as scripture says, and he'll produce fruit. Whatever he does shall prosper. Why? Because the Lord knows the way of the righteous. Obey willingly as God commands. What if Joshua would have said, well, Lord, that sounds like a good plan, you know, gather some armies and the things that God had told him to go over and possess the land and divide it up. You know, I've kind of got a plan of my own. I've kind of got a better plan, God. Disaster, right? But what we see here from Scripture is that Joshua had learned and was continuing to learn the importance of obeying willingly when God commands. Wait patiently. Listen carefully, obey willingly, which brings us to number four as we move along, and that is this. Believe confidently in God's promises. Courage in the face of fear comes when we realize that God is a God who keeps his promises. Amen? Aren't you thankful this morning that you serve a God whose word is always true and he always keeps his word? His word is always true, and he always keeps his word. I could go from Genesis chapter 1 all the way to the end of Revelation. I could give you account after account, promise after promise that God has made. All he asks is that we be willing to believe his promises are true because he always keeps his word. God took the time to remind Joshua of promises already made, and believing this would give Joshua the confidence that he would need to move forward 
and cross over Jordan into the land of promise. Look at verse 9. This is just one example. God says these words to Joshua. Be strong. Or verse 9, brother, I'm sorry. Have I not commanded you to be strong and courageous, not to be afraid? Don't be dismayed or beaten up or rendered ineffective because I'm with you wherever you go. Notice how, God, how God's spirit begins that verse. Have I not commanded you? In other words, God was saying to Joshua, didn't I already tell you this? Didn't I already promise you, Joshua? And in fact, he did. If you look back in verses seven and eight, didn't I tell you that wherever you go, I'll be with you. All you have to do is believe that my promise of my ever abiding presence is absolutely true. I will be with you, Joshua. Just believe me. And God is saying that to everyone in this room this morning who desires to live and lead courageously. You don't have to be afraid. I've already promised my presence. I will never leave you nor forsake you. You do not stand alone. Remember at the end of his life, the apostle Paul realized that very thing. He was ready to take his, his last appointment before the emperor. And he said, when I looked around me, I assumed that I, I was standing alone. No one stood with me. But then I realized the Lord was there. You will never face a circumstance in your life that you will face alone because God has promised to always be there. Joshua, I'll never leave you. I'll always be with you. And this brings me to my final principle. Wait patiently, listen carefully, obey willingly, believe confidently, and lastly this, trust fully in God's power. Notice what God says back up in verse 5. And with this, we'll, we'll wrap things up. Verse 5, he says to Joshua, he's already told him where he wants him to go and the land that he'll possess. From the wilderness to the Lebanon, as far as the great river Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Why do you think God interjected that reminder? Oh, I believe this is the reason. God wanted Joshua to know that, listen, this undertaking that I've, I've poised you for, this, I've prepared you for this leadership responsibility, and I'm sending you over to the land of promise that I, I've already vowed to give, but you're not going in your own strength, Joshua. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to fight your battle. Just like David said when he got ready to face Goliath, the battle is the Lord's. And this morning, the same thing is true for you and for me. Whatever we're facing in our lives, be it a tragedy or a responsibility, a job that God has us to do, we don't face it alone, nor do we do it in our own strength. It's God's strength that we need, amen? It's God's strength. Joshua would have to learn to trust that. I love this, though. I love this passage because I won't take the time to read it for you. But if you skip on down past verse 9, I ran across this. I didn't run across it. I Actually, the Holy Spirit showed it to me just a few days ago. I had never paid attention to it before. When you read the response of Israel to Joshua, when he told them, just like God had told him, to prepare to go over and take the promised land, you know, get the armies ready, get the possessions ready. God is giving you a land. I want to take you there. It's all yours. It's yours for the, for the taking. God has promised it to you. 
The people's response was simply this, and I'll paraphrase her for the sake of time. All that you've commanded us to do, Joshua, will do it. Just like we followed Moses, because we believe Moses was God's appointed person, God's appointed man, we'll follow you. Long as you're following God, Joshua will follow you. Joshua had to learn to trust because that trusting, that believing, that obedience, that listening, that waiting patiently was not only important for Joshua, but he had to model that in front of a group of people that were wondering and fearful themselves. Trusting. Trusting in God's power. I'll close with this little story that I heard a few years ago, and I've used it often, and you may have heard it before, so bear with me. But Chuck Swindoll, in one of his books, writes uh, this that he, he heard from someone, and, and so I'll share it with you. At first, I saw God as my observer, my judge, keeping track of the things I did wrong so as, not to, know, so as to know whether I merited heaven or hell when I died. He, wasn't, he was out there sort of like a president. I recognized his picture when I saw it, but I didn't really know him. But later on when I met Christ, it seemed as though life were rather like a bike ride. But it was a tandem bike. And I noticed that Christ was in the back helping me pedal. I don't know just when it was that he suggested we change places, but life has not been the same since. When I had control, I knew the way. It was rather boring but predictable. It was the shortest distance between two points, but when he took the lead, he knew delightful long cuts up mountains and through rocky places at breakneck speeds. It was all I could do to hang on. Even though it looked like madness, he said, just pedal. I worried and was anxious and asked, where are you taking me? And he smiled and didn't answer. And I started to learn to trust him. I forgot my boring life and entered into the adventure when I, say I'm, when I would say I'm scared, he would lean back and touch my hand. He took me to people with gifts that I needed, gifts of healing and acceptance and joy. They gave me gifts to take on my journey, my Lord's and mine, and we're off again. He said, give those gifts away. They're extra baggage. They're too much weight. So I did to the people we met, and I found that in giving, I received. And still our burden was light. I did not trust him at first, to be in control of my life. I thought he would surely wreck it. But he knows bike secrets. He knows how to make it bend to take sharp corners, knows how to jump to clear high rocks, knows how to fly to shorten scary passages. And I'm learning to be quiet and pedal in the strangest places. And I'm beginning to enjoy the view and the cool breeze on my face and my delight with my delightful companion, Jesus, and just when I'm sure I cannot go anymore, he smiles and says, just pedal. Oh, how we need to learn to trust him, to trust his power. This morning, if your desire is to lead, and God may have a purpose and a plan for you to do just that. But perhaps you're sitting here and your desire is simply just to live the life that God would be pleased with and to draw as many people to Jesus as you can. The only way that it's possible to live courageously and to lead courageously as well is to be willing to wait patiently as God works. Listen carefully when God speaks. Obey willingly 
when God commands. But this last one is so important, and that is this, that we trust fully in God's power because his power is enough. Amen.